Voyage. I'm Daniel Anacino, and my uncle served in World War II, escaped the Nazis through the floor of a moving train, and evaded them in Italy by hiding out with an Italian family before trying to make his way home. He told our family the story of his service on his deathbed. Now I'm telling you. His name is Angelo DeMarco. What we knew, what the family knew about my uncle's service we did not find out until he was literally on his deathbed. For his entire life, he would not share the story with anyone, and it was the biggest secret in our family. I think the reason my uncle was so secretive about not telling his story is that it was such a traumatic experience that he didn't want to relive it. And uh, through the years, I've spoken to many Vietnam veterans and they've, they've said the same thing, that their experiences were so horrible that they just didn't want to relive them. Well, the thing that interested the family is that when he did tell the story, everybody, quite frankly, was in shock. My cousin called me because he's the one who got the story from his dad, and he pretty much gave me a, a, an outline of it. And knowing that I'm a writer, I said, cuz, I says, I've got to write this book. My uncle, uh, remarkably, was a very soft-spoken man. And you would never guess that he could possibly be an army ranger, be stationed on the front lines, you know, in the infantry, and actually killing people. I mean, he was a total and complete pacifist. Uh, every once in a while, his Sicilian side would come out. But for the most part, he was about as even-tempered, as calm a person as you could ever imagine. I personally do not think that my uncle had any idea of how horrible it would be, quite frankly. He knew that there was going to be blood. He knew it was going to be very, very difficult. He knew that he'd go to bed at night a lot of times uh, hungry. He knew it was just going to be a challenge, but never dreamed, never dreamed he'd be captured by the Nazis. He never dreamed that he would have to escape. As soon as my uncle got out of ranger training, he was immediately sent to Sorrento, a city in Italy. Because at that particular time, Mussolini had fallen and the relationship between German, Germany and Italy was eroding. And a lot of Italians were no longer sympathetic to the German cause. So what, what he found was that he and, two, and his battalion and two other battalions were all sent to Italy to try to stop the German invasion because they wanted to take over control of Italy because they did not feel that Italy was any longer a uh, ally. My uncle told us about many intense experiences he had during the war, like the first time he killed someone. Out marching with my unit, 
200 rounds of ammo draped around my shoulders, a 45 caliber pistol holstered to my belt with an M1 rifle and a rucksack. It was the first time since joining the army that I felt like a soldier. We must have covered three or four miles when out of nowhere we heard that familiar sound of an automatic weapon. It echoed all around us. We fell to the ground. To the right, I saw wide open spaces, but to the left, I noticed heavy brush and a cluster of trees. Another three or four rounds rang out. Crawling on our bellies, we spread out in hopes that we could spot the shooter. I studied the brush and trees carefully, looking for movement. The sun hovered slightly to the west. From behind a tree about 50 feet away, I saw a bright flash, waist high. It must have been a belt buckle or something shiny catching the sunlight. When the object moved slightly, I knew it had to be a German. I took aim and watched. My hands were shaking. For him to take another shot, he would have to expose himself. Then I saw his face. Milk-white skin, blonde strands of hair sticking out from under his helmet. He looked younger than me. With my finger poised on the trigger, ready to empty a full clip into the man's chest, the strangest feeling washed over me. Any soldier who has yet to kill a man in combat tries to imagine what it'll be like when that moment happens. There are no words to accurately explain how it feels to know that in a millisecond, he'll end a life, make his wife a widow, make their children fatherless, paralyze a family. I repeatedly pulled the trigger but didn't know how many rounds I got off. The German dropped his rifle, stumbled forward, and fell to the ground. After a few long, agonizing minutes, it seemed as if someone flipped his light switch. All I could hear was the wind blowing through the trees. My lieutenant told me I'd get used to it. I didn't want to get used to it. He pointed to the top of the hill and told me was Mount St. Angelo. Angelo also told us about the death of Nate, his best friend. We were in a firefight with a seemingly endless amount of Germans. The area was thinly populated with trees, but enough for the Germans to sprint from one to the next and position themselves closer and closer to us. They worked in pairs, one moving forward while the other provided cover. No matter how many Germans we killed, more and more kept coming. To minimize combat fatigue, we employed a three-fight, one-rest strategy, and we rotated every half hour. It was my turn to rest, so I sat in the corner of the foxhole and stretched out my legs as far as the narrow space would allow. Sitting as comfortably as possible, watching my three foxhole brothers defending our position, I noticed that Nate was firing his M1 erratically, rather than taking aim on a target and then squeezing off a couple of rounds. I told him he was gonna burn through his ammo, he screamed that he didn't care, and we needed to kill the Nazis! Nate had told me before, after he'd saved three men in a heroic action, that he'd blacked out. Almost like a out-of-body experience. It seemed like it was happening again. Before I had a chance to react, Nate, exposing more of his body than he should have, yelled out for covering fire. The next thing I knew, he stood upright and attempted to step out of the foxhole. I reached for his shirt sleeve, but he was too far away. Before his first foot hit the ground, I heard a barrage of gunfire. I watched Nate drop his rifle and stumble backwards, hitting the back of his head hard against the edge of the foxhole. His helmet flew off and he lay motionless, with bullets flying everywhere. And I rushed over to him, I grabbed his shoulders, I, I shook him. He didn't move or make a sound. 
The front of his shirt was covered with blood from just below his neck to his belt buckle. With shaky hands, I pressed my finger against his carotid artery and I held him there for maybe a minute. He was dead. It happened that fast. Well, there was a, a major battle in a small city called Cisterna. And uh, the three battalions were all sent there to try to hold off the Germans. And they were vastly outnumbered. I mean, five to one outnumbered. And they held their own for a while, but ultimately they had to either surrender or die. So their lieutenant at the time who was commanding them put down his weapons, put his arms up, and he told everyone else to do the same thing. And then my uncle, along with the rest of the rangers, uh, were actually uh, taken to a prison camp. During his service, Angelo also got to see the Colosseum in Rome, but not as a tourist. This was after he'd been captured by the Germans. Fifteen minutes after we left the prison camp, the driver parked the truck less than a half a block from the Colosseum. Armed soldiers led us into the Colosseum. Once inside, I could hear screams and cheers coming from somewhere above us. We, we reached the bottom of a steep flight of stairs where the Germans grouped us together on the dirt floor of the arena. At the sight of us, the crowd of hundreds roared, many of them shaking their fists at us and cursing. Most of the spectators were dressed in German military uniforms, but a handful wore civilian clothes. The noise from the spectators was almost deafening. As we stood in the center of the Colosseum, the German soldiers circled around us. Then, from out of nowhere, a half dozen motorcycles appeared and started circling us. Armed guards led us to the perimeter of the arena floor as if we were on display. The German soldiers began a goose-step march and kept motioning for us to follow their lead. To me, marching like Nazis felt almost treasonous, but refusal, no doubt, would result in severe consequences. So, as ordered, we started marching around and around like circus animals. The procession stopped as abruptly as it had started. The German officer who ordered us to march was shadowed by four armed soldiers. He weaved his way through us. Every few steps he stopped, pointed, and then moved on. The armed guards forced the selected rangers to stand together in the center of the square. The officer moved through the crowd and approached me. I'm sure he could see the hatred and defiance in my eyes. When he pointed to me, I wasn't surprised. The officer chose 12 rangers. We stood in the center of the arena while the armed soldiers pushed the other captives away from us. One by one, they forced us to our knees. At that exact moment, I realized the officer was planning a mass execution in front of the cheering audience. Suddenly, the rowdy crowd quieted down. The officer stood in front of the first man in line. The officer removed his Luger from his holster and he aimed it at the man. Oddly, I thought about my father, our troubled relationship, the distance between us, that disconnect and dysfunction. I didn't want my last thoughts to be about him, but it wasn't something I could control. Before the German officer had a chance to pull the trigger, another officer came out of nowhere and started yelling in German. The officer holding the Luger snapped to attention and saluted. They exchanged words for several minutes. Moments later, the armed guards helped us to our feet and we rejoined the other rangers, still shaking, still 
Unable to process what had just happened, I, I asked the man who had been about to be executed, who spoke a little German, what they were saying. He said it was something about a train. What happened was, I don't know the exact location of the prison camp. It was somewhere in Italy. But the Germans were filling up boxcars with uh, army personnel, mostly rangers and frontline fighters, and they were shipping them up uh, to uh, Germany to work in the factories so that they could build tanks and they can build jeeps and they could do whatever they possibly could to advance the objective of the Nazis. Well, on the way to Munich, my uncle is on a boxcar. He's with about 40 other army rangers. And he noticed that a floorboard was sticking up. And he walked over and he started yanking on it and he pulled it right up. And there were two other floorboards and they were equally as loose and he pulled those up and he stared down at a hole that was big enough for a man to fit through, but he stopped and thought for a minute, I have to be out of my mind. I'm on a train going 30 or 40 miles an hour and I'm gonna fall through this hole on the railroad tracks and risk getting killed? Everything I'd experienced since enlisting in the Army two years before now seemed like a distant memory. The only thing that was real was me kneeling on the floor of a boxcar over a large opening and watching the railroad tires whiz by. I could hear the clunk clunk of the warped steel wheels as they rolled over the tracks. I looked up and saw terror and concern on the dimly lit faces of my fellow rangers. It's as if they were helplessly watching a brother jump off a bridge. There were three men with me. Tony, Colin, and Billy. This was a one-shot deal. I wrapped the burlap bag around my waist, and I positioned myself over the hole. I inhaled several deep breaths, and I let gravity do the rest. Once I committed to my position, before falling through the hole, I had no time to make even the slightest adjustment. It didn't take more than a second from the moment I let my body fall until the moment I bounced on the rough sawn railroad ties. Considering that the fall was no more than three feet, I hit the railroad ties hard, much harder than I had expected. My right elbow slammed against the ground first and took the brunt of the impact. The pain instantly coursed through my body as I lay on the ties on my stomach, hugging the ground and watching the wheels race by. I tried to ignore my throbbing elbow so I could inventory the rest of my body for possible injuries, but the pain radiating from my elbow to my shoulder took control and my brain could not process any other signals. All I could do was lie still and wait for the train to pass over me. I had no idea what was going on with the three guys who were brave enough to try it with me. Were they standing over the hole in the boxcar, frozen by fear? Minutes went by before the last boxcar passed over me. Suddenly, I saw movement up ahead. The silhouette of the biggest man was unmistakable. Behind him, I saw a second man. Tony and Colin made their way towards me. They said Billy was last out, so we walked down to look for him, and we found him. Half of his body lay between the tracks, and the other half lay on the ground next to the tracks. His body was cut diagonally from right shoulder to the left hip. It wasn't a clean cut. Many of his organs had spilled out of his body from the crushing pressure of the steel wheels. None of us could find appropriate words. We just stared at his remains and struggled to hold back the tears. 
it was a battle all of us would ultimately lose. When my uncle escaped, he and the two surviving rangers blindly wandered the countryside, searching for food, water, and shelter. And the biggest problem was if they knocked on the door, they didn't know whether that person was going to be sympathetic to the Germans or sympathetic to the Allied forces trying to, you know, ward them off. So it was very, very dangerous for him, but he had to take a chance and he had to hope that he knocked on the right door. And as it worked out, he did. Uh, he met a family. They warmed up to him immediately. Prior to that, he had been sleeping in barns and it was winter time, So the weather was terrible. It was an awful situation. He was suffering from hydration, dehydration. But this family took him in and he became part of the family in a very short period of time. While my uncle was staying with his family, uh, there was a young woman uh, who was about his age and they became friends very, very quickly. And I think and I'm kind of reading between the lines here, there was a little bit more than friendship. And I think they both wanted it to be more. And the reason it couldn't be more is because with the war and what was going on, it was just something that was impossible at that particular time. Now between my uncle and the young girl, we don't really know what happened. But it could have been something like this. I found a barn to hide in. There was just enough moonlight to see. I heard a horse. She was a beauty, light brown, funny coloring around her eyes. She let me pet her. I saw a bucket of water in the back of her stall. You mind sharing, girl? I cupped the water in my hands. Someone came in, a woman, long dark hair, nice eyes, about my age. We stared at each other for what felt like about two years, but was probably no more than a few moments. Do you speak English? Yes. You are here, why? For wars? No, uh, American soldier, escaped Nazis. You're not Italian. Siciliani parents speak very little Italian. She smiled at me as I struggled to speak Italian. She held a lantern like a club to hit me with. She put it down. American soldier, is, is it good? Okay? Good, yes. What's your name? Emilia. Calabria. Angela. Angela DeMarco. And what is your horse's name? Ginger. That's a good thing. Now we were both smiling. I give you food and water, yes? Please, yes. There are two other American soldiers a few miles away and I, I need a shovel. I, I get father. She left me the lantern. I found a shovel against the wall. She came back with the dad. He had a shotgun. He was built like an ox. He said some stuff in Italian I didn't understand. What did he say? Why you want the uh, tool? 
shovel. Yes, um, a friend died. Uh, L'Amico di Morto. Uh, train escaped from Tedeschi. We want to bury L'Amico. She translated. He said something back. He says you honor your friend. I saw her again a while after that, as I was sneaking around the streets of Florence, watching out for Nazis. Again, she found me in a horse stall. I noticed a familiar long face. Ginger! Angelo! Are you okay? See, si, Amelia. Do you come here often to sell food? See? Si. I must have just missed you when I arrived last time. Uh, why are you here? Uh, looking for friends. We split up. Meeting here. <laughs> Where are you leaving? Uh, close by. It's good for now. I should leave so you can get back to work. Uh, hope to see you next time you're in the market. <laughs> I'll stop by. I shook her hand like an idiot and raced off ashamed. She followed me to the homeless alley I'd been staying at. Angelo! I... Um... Hi. Do you want to stay with us? I... I couldn't impose. Uh... Impora? No Impora. We have a space. An attic for you. My father would want you to come. It's okay. Okay. That was it. I helped her load her cart. Ginger pulled us out of the market. It felt weird. Almost like a first date. How old are you? Twenty. Dead. Venti. And you? Uh, what is... Dicciotto? Ah, Eighteen. Eighteen. <laughs> In the quiet, I realized I smelled like horseshit. I turned about as red as a tomato. I'm sorry. No sorry. Just bath. I took a bath, ate a hot meal, and I stayed with Amelia's family. Felt almost like home. She felt like home. I met a family friend, Leonardo. Good-looking, always well-dressed, and pretty obviously protective of Amelia. I didn't know if he felt like I was intruding on something. I didn't want to ask. He took us up to his cafe. Here we are. Let's take good care of you. I didn't like the look his waiter gave me after Leonardo whispered to him. It wouldn't take much to get me out of the picture, if that's what he wanted. The Nazis probably would reward him for it. The waiter sat us at a table with a nice view of the river, though. Anything you want, uh, it is my gift. He kissed her on the cheek, looking right at me as he did it, and said, Your secret is safe with me. Uh, will you do me a favor? What? Relax. He left. Amelia ordered an Italian. I practically jumped in the river when the waiter popped the cork on the champagne. We drank. I tried to enjoy it. I guess this was my first date, really, ever. Have you ever been here before? Hmm. 
Once, with my mother, we had gelato. Leonardo owns part of this cafe. He gets special cured pork from us for the spring. Popular here. We had some. I have never tasted anything so good. I know the guy who cures it. <laughs> we'll get you a nice price. You're better at bargaining than your father. I learned from him, so maybe we are the same. No, you have a gift. Gift? Uh, special talent. Ah, do you have special talent? I don't know. I never thought to ask if I did. My dad never showed me how to do anything, and as the oldest, I had to chip in after school. Worked at a gas station, yard work on the weekends. He didn't allow anything indulgent in the house. Not even gelato. You do not love your father? I think I have to love him. But I hate him, too. Does that make sense? Si. He never hugged me. Not once in my life. He thinks men shouldn't do that with each other. Sorry. That's why your family is such a gift. I don't think I can ever live under my father's roof again. And now being here with you, the city, it's... It feels like God is showing me a different way. You want to stay here? I have to get back to... my side of all this, but... when the war is over... I don't know. I do know I want to get to know you more. I would like... Schnell! Schnell! Nazis. Three of them. One did all the yelling. All three had their guns aimed at me. I figured this is how it would end. But they went right past me to the next table and took two Italian guys from the chairs. They threw them in the back of the truck and left. I basically ran off as soon as they were gone. Emilia had to find me in the streets trying to breathe. With my head against the wall, I I pulled it together and put my cap down low. We took a cart back home with Ginger. I'm sorry. Why sorry? I guess that's what someone says after they lose it like that. Maybe you lose because you don't allow yourself to feel those emotions. There's no time for that. Something your father would say. Probably. But Ward tells me the same thing. Entertaining those memories is a luxury I don't have. You say so. I lost a friend. Feels like my fault. It is the burden of a good soldier. A couple of days later, we had a little picnic on this hill. We could see all that beautiful Italian country. We sat in the shade of a big oak tree and read some books. I tried to read in Italian. She tried to read in English. We both gave up after about 20 minutes. I'm not understanding this book. <laughs> I also not understanding. <laughs> Why didn't you say anything earlier? Why didn't you? Well, I thought you were enjoying it, so I was pretending to read mine. Ugh, basta. <laughs> she noticed me yawning. Still not sleeping well? Those memories of your friend? And of my family. So, some good ones too. My father keeps, uh, how you say, haunting my dreams. Like a ghost? See. Si. 
don't let him take from your life now when he is not here. What is it you want for your life now? I don't think I understand the question. Do you want a family of your own? Ah, of course. Also, I want to be close to mother and father and brother. I want to help keep this farm. It is how we live. Do you like how you live? I see the life of others in Firenze. That the, the people there ask themselves different questions. I've never been outside of Italy. One day I would like to see other places. <laughs> but always come back here. Yes. And you? Do you ask yourself this question? I started to. Being here with you. Your family. Rochester isn't a city with a history. But it isn't a farm either. Uh, it is... Um, how you say... Nel mezzo. In between. Yeah. The only thing keeping me there is family. Would you not go back for them? Not when my father is still there. You are the oldest. Your family needs you. I don't know if it can feel like home again. Not after being out here, being a soldier. <laughs> but being here is a... Um, fuga. What, what, what is Fuga? You're running from home. Escape? Yes. Is that how you see me? Is that how you see me? As escape? No. But this is not your home. It is okay to escape for a little while. She looked at my lips. I felt that she was ready for me to kiss her, but I turned away like a coward. She blushed. I um, need to get back to the house. Paula has work for me. It's not my first time. What? This, it is not my first time. It is okay. Was it Leonardo? Like that helped. She stormed off. I considered lining up behind the horse's ass where I belonged, hoping maybe she'd kick some sense into me. The person who ended up talking sense to me was the last one I expected. I was chopping wood for the family when Leonardo's car pulled up. Uh, do you mind if we speak in uh, English? You speak it better than me. <laughs> uh, I lived in New York for a time. Then uh, Berlin in the late 20s. My God, that was the city to be in. <laughs> uh, before, uh, well... Uh, I kept my mouth shut. You don't trust me. Should I? The Germans are leaving Florence. They recently cleared out of Rome, too. They're consolidating up north? Mm-hmm. Pisa on the coast across to Bologna. Yesterday was a show of force. Once the German soldiers clear out, they want us to know who is still in charge. And they'll want to show more force. They'll be going door to door. Eventually farm to farm. I knew what he was getting at. Emilia is your first love. Yes. Uh, my first love will always seem like uh, God's providence. Or maybe I've become too cynical. 
If you truly do love her, then you'll do what's best for the family. The fascists will begin their sweeps later this week. I went to find Amelia in the farm's fields. I need to tell you something. Not that it should change things. I'm saying I understand why you're angry at me. Not angry, frustrated. Your English is getting better. Well, what is it that is of such importance? I never kissed anyone before. This is very important news. It's it's embarrassing news. I was I was a late bloomer. What is that? I didn't grow into myself as a man until later, when I got to Europe. I've seen many soldiers pass through many towns, and the one night they have with a woman seemed to mean so little. So I I kept putting off having those nights. That is okay. We can't be together, Amelia. I know. I just wanted you to understand that. I did want to kiss you, but the reality is, no matter how long I get to live here, I'm just another soldier passing through. Do you see me as more than one of those women? Yes, of course. Good. You are more for me too. Good. Thank you for listening. <laughs> you are welcome. Amelia, I finally shut up and kissed her. I kissed her for a long time, but no matter how long I kissed her, it wasn't long enough. On June 2nd, 1944, Leonardo's car came racing up to the farmhouse. Amelia and I came outside with her family. They're coming. A truckload of them, not far behind. How? I always followed yesterday. Nazis cleared out the Florence in the cover of night. Allied soldiers must... Must be near. He gave me his car keys. You're still in my car. Head south. You'll find them eventually. Hey. You want to do this anyway, right? Huh? He squared up on me. I realized he wanted me to punch him. So I did. But, shoot, by now I half liked the guy, so maybe I took it too easy. It's not enough. He gave me his pistol and pointed at the fleshy part of his shoulder. You sure you'll be okay? Go, go. There was no more time for goodbyes. I got in Leonardo's car. Amelia came up to the window and kissed me again. War, then home. I couldn't think of the right words to say, so I didn't say anything. I hit the accelerator, and I left her behind. Now this is a version of what might have happened. It's very possible that there was a relationship there. We didn't get all the details from my uncle, but I have a sense that there really could have been something between them. The way I understand it is that my uncle really wanted to stay with them longer, but he knew he had to find his battalion or Allied forces or someone that was that would be the only way that he would be rescued. I think because he had two brothers and two sisters and he had 
you know, real roots in Rochester, I don't think he would have stayed. I personally, I, that's, you know, that was not disclosed one way or the other, but that's my gut instinct. Now, my uncle, Angelo, um, had a bit of a troubled relationship with his dad. And my grandfather, uh, he was, I hate to say it, but an old-fashioned Italian. He was the king of the castle. And uh, as my uncle was growing up, uh, his father put more and more demands on him. Uh, there was a real distance between them. And overall, it was a relationship that was uh, very damaged. Now, even though my uncle had many, many reservations about coming home because, quite frankly, he did not know how his father would react, and he really feared that it would be the same cold shoulder he'd gotten for most of his life. But remarkably, when he did get home for the first time ever in his relationship with his dad, they hugged each other and his father actually showed legitimate emotion and it was just a wonderful thing to 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 know that that's what happened now my uncle angelo um, spent almost five months behind enemy lines after he had escaped from the uh, from the nazis and he struggled a bit and if it wasn't for the italian family it would have been even more difficult but he knew he was driven to, to find somebody from his platoon, from his battalion, uh, soldiers from the Allied forces. And as it worked out, he was in the city of Florence and he did run into some French soldiers. The French soldiers checked him out completely and totally, found out that he was legit, that he was a prisoner of war. And uh, they flew him to Washington where he was debriefed and they wanted as much information on the Nazis as he could offer. And then they put him on a plane and they sent him back to his hometown, Rochester, New York. After Angelo settled down a, a bit and um, got his head together, uh, he went into the uh, trades. He became a Mason and he spent the rest of his life as a Mason. Uh, until the very end when he became a supervisor, but uh, uh, that was really his entire career from beginning to end. Uh, he did get married. He did have one son, my cousin Steve, and um, lived a pretty quiet life, but he was successful at what he did. He owned a nice house. He was very close to his family, and um, he even I believe, managed to establish a long-term relationship with his dad. One of the things my uncle retained, I believe, after he left Italy and uh, he was sent home, was that the contrast between the family he stayed with and his own family was dramatic. And it just gave him a new realization about how families can be and I think he's got a, for his entire life, there was always a soft spot for Italy and the Italian people and some of the struggles that they have that we don't have in the United States. And I think he really had a humble appreciation for that. If you'd like to know more about the story, if you'd like to know more about my uncle and what he went through as a prisoner of war and as an escapee, 
Uh, my book is available in either electronic or paperback on Amazon.com, and the name is More Than a Soldier. A link is in the show notes.